Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action. And welcome to a, another surreal week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Claire Zauke, our Healthcare Director, is with us safely from her home. Claire, great to have you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Great to be here. And Robert Craig, the Executive Director here at Citizen Action, joins us. Robert, good to have you. Good day to our digital and our radio audience. So we have a packed week. It has been um, it's been a historic week, and we'll talk more about it. It seems like every week is uh, in this uh, COVID time and time of Trump. Um, we will be joined later in the show by two more state legislative candidates that uh, Citizen Action has endorsed. Uh, we have a couple of candidates from the Green Bay area. Kristen Lyerly will be joining us and Kathy Hankfuss. Uh, later in the show, we look forward to talking to them. But we are going to spend the first two segments of the show talking about everything that's been going on. Um, we are going to start by t uh, talking and debriefing the debate, but not the whole debate. It was unlike any other debate we've seen. Um, there are a couple things I want to get comments from the panel on. One is the, the part about the no health care plan. Uh, from from Trump that we had the uh, Chris Wallace or uh, it's Chris Wallace right yeah <laughs> the uh, the moderator from Fox News who really grilled Trump on the idea that he had no plan and then obviously we want to talk about Trump and the uh, calling out uh, the white supremacists and aligning with them and then also just the clarity that comes out of this is that. Uh, Trump shows no signs of not showing that he is willing to muck with the election, potentially in election results. And I want to talk more about that. But I want to start by getting both of your comments around and thoughts around this whole dynamic around healthcare that actually played out. It was one of the few opportunities where issues were at least briefly discussed. Claire, you're a healthcare director here. It was a, it was a pretty uh, uh, important moment where Trump basically had nothing. Your, your thoughts on this? And was this in your, did, did this get lost in everything else? Um, I think that the broader discussion of healthcare policy was pretty much absent. And um, so, so I guess you could say it got lost amongst everything else because this debate was, was all about you know, grandstanding and yelling and not at all about substantive discussion. I think the healthcare pieces that um, stuck with people after the debate were not about um, a healthcare policy platform because one, that's totally absent in Trump's campaign. He made sort of a half-hearted effort to release a uh, America first healthcare plan in, in advance of the debate that was uh, totally unsubstantive um, and, and devoid of anything other than some, you know, pharmaceutical coupons for seniors, uh, which uh, as we know, does not nearly get close enough to getting at the problem of, of price gouging and the extreme monopoly control that pharmaceutical companies Companies have, which is that like drug prices are actually high, um, and instead chose to make all kinds of ad hoc um, uh, personal attacks against Joe Biden. He attacked Joe Biden for wearing the biggest mask he's ever seen in public and ridiculing him for taking COVID seriously. He attacked Joe Biden's son's um, history with substance abuse and um, took the absolute 
um, sort of wrong um, angle on on how we should be dealing with folks um, who who have substance uh, abuse issues um, and mental health disorders. He just showed a complete lack of of compassion there. Um, so so like I said, I I don't think that there was very much to um, to take away about healthcare um, in any sort of substantive way from that debate. Robert, your thoughts on on the debates, particularly this aspect around healthcare and Fox News and, and them really also in addition, calling out his effort to try and somehow have an executive order on a pre-existing condition, just flat out debunking that he had done anything on healthcare. Unfortunately, I think Claire has accurately pointed out there was very little policy discussion, Robert. Well, I take umbrage at calling this a debate as a former college debater and a former <laughs> debate coach. Yeah, that's a great point. It was a World Wrestling Federation event, only only lacking the ring and the tag-in of Mike Pence uh, and, and Vince McMahon. Uh, but I do think that uh, a punch was scored on health care. And the reason is I know it could easily get lost in the muck, but it's the top public issue. It's top of mind for the public. And the audience fairly early in the debate saw Chris Wallace say you have no health care plan and you, pr you promised it repeatedly and you're trying to get rid of the ACA, heard Biden say the same thing and saw Trump evade any answer other than to throw out his executive order, which Biden did effectively discredit. And so I think it did get through to a lot of people particularly the people who might actually change their vote or decide to vote on this issue. And healthcare is probably the best swing vote issue for independent women and the some moderate Republican women in the suburbs that have moved away from the Republican Party. And I think it got in. But otherwise, look, Trump's whole strategy backfired because if there was any logic or strategy to it other than acting out and bullying, and just doing his thing, it would have been to throw Biden so off that Biden had a great faux pas. And that didn't happen. Biden didn't have a great performance. It was a below average performance, I would say, for a presidential debate, except no previous presidential debaters have had to be interrupted constantly and attacked by a bully like that as they spoke. So you have to take that into account. That probably reduced his performance, but he performed well enough, especially given that inexplicably, the Trump campaign has been lowering expectations for Biden, saying he's senile. So now if he looks credible at all, it's a win. And you usually do the opposite. You talk about how your opponent's a great debater, so they underperform. Uh, and that's what happened to Gore in 2000, for example. There was an over-expectation of how he would perform and an under-expectation of how George W. Bush would perform. So the next topic I want to, I'm going to pull these two together because I think they're interrelated and they're both scary. One was his comments that, you know, basically referenced and told the Proud Boys to stand by. And there's been virtually no real attempt to disassociate himself from the comments other than just to say, oh, stand, stand by. Damage done. But that also connected to this continued assertion that we saw in the debates that Trump is clearly willing to call into question the entire voting system, that there is zero evidence, any evidence, 
historical or right now with what's going on in any of the states, that there's any sort of systematic fraud or abuse or problem with the system. There are clearly going to be human error and anecdotal and evidences where there will be mistakes, just like there are in polling locations, right? On election day, it happens. Human error, not systemic. The debate, he clearly used this debate to continue to assert and not, you know, has not said that he would not challenge the election. And then you combine this with telling white nationalists and militia types to stand by. I, I find this very disconcerting. And I think one of the biggest takeaways is this concern about uh, the whole uh, idea that Trump will challenge if Biden wins a transition around uh, the votes and the fact that somehow there is massive fraud and abuse in the next month will be just a series of efforts to try to play that up. Claire, am I being way over the top on this? I know there's been a number of articles published in media trying to calm down and say that our laws, you know, don't allow this, but uh, I don't have any great faith in um, any of this. I'm deeply concerned given what I've seen here in our state over the last decade. Your thoughts, Claire? I think that not only is Trump willing to uh, try to undermine democracy to win, I think it is his entire strategy. Um, we know that Trump is a voracious consumer of polls, of um, cable television news. And so he knows that he is really, really down in the polls in a lot of key states nationally and in a lot of key states like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and even South Carolina is in play now, right? Like he knows that he is not doing well. And I think he has always known that he would have a challenge beating Joe Biden. That's one of the reasons why very, very early on in Biden's campaign, even before Biden announced, he was going through this whole sort of you Ukraine faux crisis trying to smear the Biden name because he's always been afraid of going head to head with Joe Biden. And, and he, you know, he doesn't think that he can beat him. And so his entire strategy now is trying to undermine democracy. And so, um, and that's why also in the debate, you saw him saying things like, um, I want to encourage my voters to go to the polls and just watch because some shenanigans are going to go down and you need to just watch. I mean, that smacks of voter intimidation, right? Um, that is not sort of a coordinated, nonpartisan um, voter integrity poll watching effort that you would usually call for at the end of an election. I mean, that is, that is clearly an effort to do some voter suppression. So, um, I, I don't think you're totally off the mark that that's his strategy. Well, and especially when he says, and stand by, right? Like, I mean, come on. It's, it's just too close. Robert, we're going to get your comments on the back end of the break, and we're going to continue this conversation and talk about uh, a number of other things, including what's been going on with COVID in the state and the state's response to it. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about uh, the debate this week, and in particular, we're talking about Trump. This goes beyond also the, the debate, or as Robert said, not really a debate, uh, where Trump continues to be talking about this, this whole election and throwing lots of shade on it to make it sound as if uh, it is not going to be a fair election. Robert, your chance to, uh, to, to comment on this. Well, he's going to win, try to win by any means necessary. And probably the end game is 
either discourage enough people from voting, create enough chaos, uh, get enough mail ballots to be disqualified or not uh, not entered at all in order to eke out an electoral college victory. He's not even trying to win the, the, the national popular vote. Uh, or if you can make it close enough to try to steal it in the end, uh, a la the old vote stealing of states like Texas or Illinois or the uh, uh, crisis of 1876, where we didn't have a president named until March. And it came down to Congress and the Compromise of 1877 that sold out African-Americans and ended Reconstruction. Uh, it's, it goes beyond Trump, though. Uh, Paul Pearson and Jeffrey uh, and uh, 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 what's his name? Jacob Hacker. Sorry, I was going to say it was Jeffrey Sachs, another academic. In their latest book, they're a Yale and a Berkeley political scientist, uh, Let Them Eat Tweets, that came out in July, argues that the far right, the whole right, the right wing funding infrastructure, the Koch brothers, not just the Koch brothers, all of them behind the Republican Party have decided they can't rule with majorities. And everything you've seen from photo ID and all of the neo Jim Crow voter suppression laws, people like Scott Walker put in the uh, the gerrymandering that we have in the state. All of this is a piece of that strategy. And once you're doing that, then what Trump is doing is simply a further rationalization or escalation of the same insight that we can't rule and make the economy completely rigged to the top 0.1% and make it popular unless we generate a mass right-wing movement based on hatred, but that's still not enough because there aren't enough uh, uh, white, angry white people to do it, and then also make it so we don't have a major majority rule. And Pearson and Hacker argue that for the first time in any mature modern democracy, Western democracy, we have a political party that's opting out of democracy, and that's why there's a threat to democracy. So see Trump as the crazed instrument they can't quite control, as opposed to just some sort of one-off. This is their strategy. The scarier part might be to have someone better able to be plausible and carry it off than a Trump. Trump is so transparent that the conspiracy is too obvious in some ways, and that makes it a weaker threat, though still a major threat. Folks, we are going to take this threat very seriously at Citizen Action. We're going to be working with a lot of partners, both here within the state, but also nationally, uh, to first of all, make sure the public's aware. Uh, we think it's important that state legislators be asked and called out to say that they will completely disavow themselves of any strategy like this that would try to take the will of the voters, you know, the democratic will of the Wisconsin voters and subvert that. Um, we need to be asking legislators about that um, and making sure that they will publicly disavow themselves of that so that we could at least get out front of this. But uh, we'll and talk me, more about this. Yep, Robert. What, one thing I should say is one of the things they did is got rid of the government accountability board because it investigated Scott Walker's illegality. It was illegal. Supreme Court changed the law to save him. Uh, and creating an election commission, there's a 3-3 split, which means they may split on whether uh, on this, create confusion, and then that creates the opportunity to have a dispute over who the electors are. So the previous conspiracy by Walker has made it much more likely that there are scenarios out there where the state Supreme Court, the legislature, and the U.S. Supreme Court could intervene to steal Wisconsin in a close election. And with that, we have got to 
change the topics because we have we just have to talk about what's going on in our state as it relates to uh, COVID-19. We've been talking about this uh, throughout the summer uh, and we've been talking about how this has been getting worse and we are now in a very crisis moment in our state from a public health perspective. Um, article out just today uh, in the journal Sentinel uh, just talking from from a number of medical professionals, healthcare workers, nurses throughout the state, talking about just how awful things are. And we're not just talking about the big cities. This is throughout the state. Obviously, I think folks know in La Crosse and Green Bay, things are particularly bad. But we're talking about hospitals that are saying in a week, two, uh, there'll be an emergency crisis. Uh, we have uh, deaths at a record high. We have hospitalization rates at a high rate. We have uh, infection rates at high rates. Um, and unfortunately, we also have schools in many places still open. Claire, uh, I want to get your thoughts on this. This is, um, we are getting into a, a tipping point here at where this state does not have the ability to trace accurately. We do not have the community tracing we need, and schools are still wide open. I want, I want your thoughts. Uh, you are our healthcare director. Um, I just, I, I think we're in a crisis situation, and um, we need more out of our state leaders, especially as it relates to schools. Yeah, you're not wrong or um, being hyperbolic when you say that um, the pandemic is at a, a crisis point in our state and um, at a point that will become a, a much, much uh, more deadly crisis uh, very soon if uh, the state doesn't take some serious action. And um, just to sort of enumerate that, um, we had one of, I think it might have been a record high number of deaths this week that we lost 27 people in a single day to this um, to this disease and um, to put some numbers behind what you were saying around hospital capacity, our hospital beds and ICU beds are um, just over 80% capacity in this state. Now, luckily the number of uh, ventilators available is still fairly high, but as more and more folks get hospitalized with um, more and more severe uh, expressions of this disease, I expect that those resources will get used up as well. Um, and to your point, this is not something that is concentrated in just one part of the state or uh, another. There is not a single county in Wisconsin that has below a high level of activity as monitored and regulated by the uh, state's Department of Health Services. And in fact, the majority of counties are at a very high and rising number of cases as tracked by DHS. I, I am concerned, you mentioned schools. Um, yes, I'm concerned that if schools reopen, that um, we will be adding sort of nexuses of, um, of activity where people will be forced to come together in close contact, um, which is really easy for spreading the disease and then going home and then passing that on to family members and therefore creating sort of this ripple effect, the spider web of, of contacts throughout the community. But I'm also really concerned about the fact that these spikes are, um, and a lot of times tied to um, or these increases, I should say, they're not even spikes anymore, they're just steady increases, um, are tied to people's activities going to places like bars and restaurants. And so I'm concerned that um, as we are having our, our first full week here that's in the 50 degree weather um, and it continues to get colder, people are going to continue to be driven inside and have showed an inability to um, 
um, or an unwillingness to change their behavior and not engage in social activities like going to bars and restaurants at the same time that our do nothing legislature has continued to refuse to make that decision for the people by closing down bars and restaurants. And as it gets colder, people are going to continue to migrate inside. And I'm really, really worried about what that is going to do for, for the number of cases in our state. Look, we're headlines on cable news this morning. Wisconsin is the hotspot. And there are reports on MSNBC that there are hospitals in Wisconsin already telling people you're on a waiting list. You can't come in, even though they're, the person is suspected COVID. And it's not mostly in Milwaukee which has been dumped on earlier in the pandemic. Uh, Milwaukee is not anywhere near its record number of cases, though I think it's serious in Milwaukee. It's elsewhere in the state where this is coming from. This is a statewide problem. Uh, and we don't have a uniform policy. We do not have enforcement of social distancing and masks. Masks could pay, play a huge role in this. And as people tell me, including Matt this morning, you go up north and there are far fewer masks which is really problematic and people are packed into supper clubs. But then, and this is, look, the Republicans and conservatives are awful on this and, uh, and, and it, they're, they're committing genocidal crimes if you talk about the amount of numbers because it, even mo a moderate estimate would say the 100,000 more people have died because of Trump uh, and his policies or lack thereof and actively bad policies. But then the Democrats in the state are not pro even proposing what is necessary. We have 1,200 contact tracers. Um, a Stanford, uh, Stanford thinks we need 9,200 and George Washington University 9,000. So a ninth of what we need. Where's the bill for the Republicans to oppose the bill to fund that amount of contact tracing? The public isn't even being told by Democrats what a good response would look like. And that's very problematic. You can at least say of the national Democrats that they have a major relief and recovery bill that the Republicans won't move. That's not true here in the state. And that is blameworthy as well, though not as blameworthy as where the Republicans are. And with that, we have got to take a break. We're going to quickly talk a little bit more about this, and then we'll be joined by our guests, which are uh, two candidates running for state legislature. But we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, which is in action. Welcome back to Citizen Action's Battleground, Wisconsin. We're talking about the COVID situation in the state being, we're, we're like one of the worst in the nation's right, nation right now and one of the worst nations in the world uh, with COVID. And uh, so schools, many schools are wide open right now. And uh, we were part of an effort this week with a number of teachers unions to basically tell the state, we really need to go virtual with what's going on. Claire laid out where hospitals are at that were spiking. Uh, and this presents a incredibly uh, dangerous situation. And we've already seen that the schools, it's a challenge. Uh, and we have parents sending kids in with COVID, teachers, coaches, who uh, come in spite of having uh, positive tests. Um, Claire, this seems to be, we've got state health people telling us to go back to what we were doing in, in March and April, but yet we have schools wide open. This just doesn't seem right to me. No, it's incredibly dangerous. Um, and what's happening is exactly what we predicted would happen, right? We live in a capitalist society where um, 
very often people are are forced to to go to work and the powers that be have an interest in, in making sure that folks uh, return to work and you know under the auspices of quote unquote reopening the economy and um, and a lot of that dictates uh, dictates childcare right and then that po folks need to be able to put their kids somewhere so that they can go to work um, or even if folks are working from home I think parents are um, are <laughs> sort of at their wits end um, and their mental health is really suffering trying to to deal with caring for children um, in the home and trying to work uh, which you know they need to do to be able to pay um, for food and, and shelter um, and so if schools are are open um, parents are going to send their kids and sometimes they're going to send their kids even if their kids are sick and I'm not trying to you know excuse that decision um, by any means but I I think if we look at it through an empathetic lens, we can understand how we've built a system of as a society that encourages that behavior. And um, so that's why, you know, we need a state government that is trying to make objective decisions about what is best for our community's health overall, um, which is is why you have folks like Citizen Action and um, educators uh, and educators coalitions across the state calling on um, Secretary Palm and DHS and the governor to um, keep schools across the state in virtual learning. Robert? There's another example of completely bad behavior by conservatives and not strong enough uh, action by Democrats. Uh, again, the Democrats taking not taking as strong an action is not as big a moral concern, though it's big to me, as simply being wanting schools open as a business practice. So you have the conservatives led by Trump wanting to open schools so that uh, parents can have a place to put their kids, don't believe their notions about they care about the, the mental health of young people. Uh, so that the economy can get going, so they can continue to enrich uh, the, the upper classes that they represent and, and, and the, corporate, the corporate titans of the, of the country. Uh, but you have Democrats, even in Wisconsin, not taking a strong enough stand. I agree, and we signed on to this letter that in the, with, with us being one of the worst outbreak places in the country, it is not ethical to have in-person schooling. And the kids aren't just there alone, even if you believe the lies President Trump has told about kids not being vulnerable, uh, because, of course, the, the teachers are, and of course, the support staff are, and of course, they're not really even, even if you believe this is possible, really enforcing clearly social distancing masks, of, uh, they don't have adequate testing, even if you were going to try to do that. Now, I think the defense the governor would give is, is that the state Supreme Court is prevented from having authority. Well, where are the standards? If you put out very clear standards from the Department of Health Services and from the uh, Department of Public Instruction, then it would be much harder to open the schools and school board members who want to do the right thing in places where they're trying to open would have something to hold on to. And they're doing, by not doing that, it's not quite the fake science where the Trump administration is making the CDC pull back science and lie and doing that to the FDA as well, but not putting out standards that science dictates is very problematic. And I'm concerned it isn't just weakness. It is they don't want to be seen politically as standing in the way of schools reopening because it'll be unpopular with parents.
uh, because parents, uh, they've had their, their, the unemployment uh, checks cut off by Washington. They need to work or they could, they, they could be out of house and home. What you really need to do is to either have a massive investment to control the virus so that you can open up schools safely, or you have to have alternatives. You have to actually provide uh, the, the support uh, parents need in order to make a living, right? And, uh, and the support that schools need to provide a high quality virtual education until we control the disease. And if we had done anything like Western Europe for Canada or the major advanced industrial countries in Asia, we wouldn't be having this discussion because we could reopen the schools. So this goes back to the original sin here, and that is uh, allowing and even abetting a pandemic uh, out of ideology and uh, a false sense of what self-interest is. Because it's bad for the economy, too. It's bad for everything conservatives claim to want. All right. Well, we're going to have to wrap up this critical discussion of uh, what's been going on with COVID. We'll continue to be... Uh, talking and watching the situation on further shows, but we have our first guest. We are really, really happy to be joined by one of our endorsed candidates for state legislature, and that is Kristen Lyerly, who is running in the Green Bay area in Assembly District 88. Kristen, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I am a longtime listener and a big fan and so so very excited to be endorsed by Citizen Action. Woohoo! Well, that's great to hear. Well, we're thrilled you're running, um, and we're convinced we think you can win, and we know you're going to win. So tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and uh, the seat you're running in and wh why you're running. We are absolutely going to win. So thank you for agreeing, because it's true. Um, my name is Kristen Lyerly. I am a physician, not a politician. I'm an obstetrician-gynecologist. I grew up just south of the district that I will be representing, and I have a long history of advocacy work in healthcare, most specifically women's healthcare. And for a long time, it's frustrating to me to sit in a, a patient visit with someone trying to solve a problem when all I can do is prescribe a medication or offer them something that I know they can't follow through on because of all of the other social determinants. So they can't afford healthy food. They don't have time to exercise. They can't afford their medication. And that is just the most irritating, frustrating thing. So now as a legislator, I can not only help impact the actual medical stuff, but all of the other stuff as well. And it couldn't be a more important time in our country's history. This is such an unprecedented time with COVID barreling down on us. It's definitely barreling down on Green Bay and Appleton where I work. Um, I'm on call this weekend in Appleton and really um, concerned about what is happening, what I'm going to see personally as I'm caring for my patients, but also thinking about the president's visit to La Crosse and Green Bay, hot spots in the country, and what irresponsible leadership that is. It's not leadership, it's just irresponsible behavior. Claire, first question. I am really intrigued by your background. Obviously, I think nobody's going to be surprised um, as a doctor, as a physician, um, and a healthcare advocate. So, um, as somebody who knows our healthcare system uh, intimately and who has been talking to voters for the last several months, um, what is something that you um, think will be a healthcare priority for you once you're in office that you want to do um, to hit the ground running when you um, take office in January? 
super easy. I mean, number one, low-hanging fruit is expanding Medicaid. We know that that is just, it's just easy. 42% of my patients, of my pregnant patients, are on Badger Care. And this federal money is just hanging out there waiting for us to accept it and to put 80,000 more Wisconsinites back into the role so they can get the care that they need. We've spent well over a billion dollars. We've denied ourselves well over a billion dollars of aid from the federal government that could be serving Wisconsinites. So Medicaid expansion is huge, but there are so many other things from a women's health perspective, ensuring that women have access to contraception, that women have access to fundamental preventive care, that women have access to abortion. That is a huge one for me. Uh, and you know, with what's going on with the Supreme Court right now, it's gonna be all that more, much more important on a state level to preserve a woman's right to choose. So um, this is, you know, this is my bread and butter, and I will be at the table for all of these discussions, listening to my constituents, working with my colleagues, and pushing forward for all Wisconsinites. Well, Kristen, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after the break. We're going to keep talking with Kristen Laerly, who's running for State Assembly up in the Green Bay area, Assembly District 88. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We are talking with, I'll say it, soon-to-be state representative, <laughs> Kristen Larry. Yeah! All right. <laughs> Kristen is running for uh, state assembly in the Green Bay area. Robert, you get the next question for Kristen. You are totally right, Kristen, about taking the Medicaid expansion money being low-hanging fruit, though we know there's a little bit of something going on with the U.S. Supreme Court that could take all that away. Uh, thanks to the president and 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 conservatives who dominate the Republican Party, uh, but even so, there the state might need to do some, something much more dramatic if that was the case. But even if it's not the case, uh, we know that a lot of folks with insurance are avoiding medical care because they can't afford the copays, deductibles, uh, mm-hmm. the, the out-of-pocket costs have gone up dramatically. People do not know what it's going to cost, so they assume it's going to be outrageous, and they're not usually wrong. There is usually some big charge you don't expect if you have anything significantly done, and Mm -hmm. half the time you shouldn't have been charged, but do you have the wherewithal, time, and knowledge to fight it with a big insurance Mm -hmm. bureaucracy? So we think we have to deal with cost overall and that there's been no action from either side that really deals with the overall cost of healthcare. And I mean the cost as in we need to cheapen it up. I mean, we need to increase the affordability for average people. And yeah. you know, we've been proposing a budget, a, a badger care public option, which would give people cheaper insurance with no deductibles and co-pays who wanted to buy it on the, on the Affordable Care Act marketplace. And yeah. a small employers to get it too, for example, and also prescription drug regulation, because the state could do a lot more. That's another area of price gouging that's massive. So I want to get your thoughts on both of those and anything else you want proposed in that area. Absolutely. And that gives me an opportunity to share a patient story from just last week. I saw a woman for a routine preventive exam and I said, hey, it's time to get your mammogram. And she said, I'm not going to do it because three years ago, I had dense breasts and I needed a follow-up mammogram that I had to pay for. And now I'm on a list and I was supposed to get mammograms every six months, but I can't afford it. So now three years later, she's high risk and she hasn't gotten any of her mammograms because she can't afford it, but she has insurance. I mean, this is absolutely insane. So you are right. We have to make the Affordable Care Act affordable 
And we can do that here in Wisconsin. And with regards to uh, making prescription drugs affordable, I was shocked the other night when I was listening to President Trump say, insulin's available, it's like water. Like, show me where the fountain of insulin is because my patients don't see it that way. Yeah, water, water, water that costs as much as gold. Um, Kristen, yep. look, you are clearly going to be a leader uh, on healthcare, and we look forward to that. But the key thing is you do have to win. I've been talking yeah. big here, but you have an election you have to win. Please let our listeners know how they can get involved helping you win this election. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I am so ready to get to work, but we've got to get through this election first. And I am in a very gerrymandered district against a tough, Republican opponent, very Trump-like, very uh, the opposite of what I stand for. So I need help. I need dollars. I need engagement. I need people to be texting for us and calling for us and hitting the ground and dropping literature and spreading the news, getting engaged on our social media. We've got a beautiful social media team that's got us on Facebook and Instagram. Our website is kristenforwisconsin.com, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-F-O-R wisconsin spelled out.com we will find a place for you if you have a desire to get involved we will make it happen okay folks you you heard it we'll have links we'll have donation links we'll have volunteer links on our webpage. Kristen, thanks so much for joining us today and thanks so much for running for office thank you guys for everything you do you make a difference and we're doing it together all right thank you so much okay have a great day so we obviously thank Kristen so much for joining us. We are fortunate right away, back-to-back -back guests. We have another amazing candidate running for state assembly. That is Kathy Hentfus. She is also running in the greater Green Bay area. Kathy, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Oh, we're thrilled to have you. Um, you are running in the 4th Assembly District. Uh, tell our yes. listeners a little bit more about yourself and why you're running. Well, my name is Kathy Hankfuss and I'm running for state assembly because I think the fourth district deserves representation and we have not had representation for many, many years. I'm a mom, I'm a nurse, I'm an executive, I was a nonprofit leader and very involved in the Green Bay um, community. And throughout my life in the work that I've done, my job was to bring people together different sides, bring them together, find out what we agree on, what we disagree on, and then figure out how we're gonna compromise so that we can move forward. Standing in each other's corners and not doing anything or taking each other to court is not how the real, wor real world works. So I wanna bring people together. That's the only way we're gonna get things done. We agree on more than we disagree on. Healthcare is a huge issue. Um, for not only Wisconsin, but our whole entire United States in making sure that illness is universal, healthcare is not, and we need to bring that forward. And we need leaders. We need leaders that are gonna take the tough votes in our state um, and not listen to only party leaders. It's gotta be based on what's in our district and what the people of our district are telling us. Claire. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Cassie, I'm so excited to have you on because we have yet another healthcare professional <laughs> who's running. Yes, for and that's one of the big reasons that I'm running because of my experience both in the uh, being a nurse and being a healthcare executive. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about um, how your experience as a healthcare professional is motivating you to work and like what are some of the top policy things that relate to healthcare that you want to make a priority once you are in office? 
Well, I think the biggest priority is having to ex is accepting the Medicare uh, Medicaid dollars that the federal government has offered the state of Wisconsin, which we've refused, uh, which is over a one billion dollars. And and to put that into perspective, a woman or a man making a little over eight dollars an hour is not eligible for Medicaid in the state of Wisconsin. And you know, talking to these people, they love their jobs. They're waitresses. They're our dog groomers. They're they're people that love the work that they're doing, and they should have an opportunity to have health insurance. And um, the Affordable Care Act is something that I worked on when I was an executive. I support it now. And it's something that I believe we can build on because what the Affordable Care Act does is it gives us a basic set of benefits to grow. And it takes away the maximums. It takes away the pre-existing. Um, it, it, it gives people so many opportunities to get health care. And you know, when women have to choose, when I was at the YWCA, women were choosing whether or not they could pay their copay instead of going to the grocery store or instead of being able to pay, you know, their childcare expenses. They couldn't take their child to the doctor. That is not okay. And nobody in our state or in the United States should go broke because they are ill. So that is really, really important to me that we look at ways that um, we can fund healthcare for everybody in our state. And to me, it's it's a basic foundational uh, piece that we need to offer. Robert. Yeah, thank you for, I like your framing a lot, Kathy, that no one should go broke uh, yes. in order to get healthcare. And that would require the state of Wisconsin to step up. Now we'll see what happens if we win this election. It's not stolen nationally. Maybe we'll have even stronger national uh, program to build on because uh, the plan that uh, by, uh, President Biden has put forward, which was a compromise with uh, the progressive wing of the party, goes well beyond the current Affordable Care Act, but we don't know. He has to have the Senate as well. But it does seem mm -hmm. to me like the, le the state legislature needs to step up and fill in whatever gap there is, because we see it's simply intolerable that half the population, according to a survey we did in Wisconsin with a national partner, are avoiding needed medical care every year because of fear of the cost. And it's, it's not a fake fear. It's a, it's a really legitimate fear that they will get some giant bill they can't pay. Most families can't handle a $1,000 surprise bill. And that's almost par for the course for any significant uh, medical uh, interaction in this country. Uh, that is that is absolutely right. And what the, the Affordable Care Act that we can build on, you know, provides wellness care for children, adults. Um, that is something I don't think we want to give up. It also eliminates the maximum. So if you become really sick, you have a premature baby, there's no longer maximums out there. And those types of benefits need to be protected. And that's one of the reasons that I am running, because, again, nobody should have to go broke because they're sick. Nobody should have to claim bankruptcy because they are sick. And today, with the whole coronavirus going on and people being laid off, it is absolutely more important than ever that we um, look at doing something for the state and uh, providing health care to everyone. Well, Kathy, we want to thank you for coming on the show. And we also, but mostly we want to thank you for running for office. Um, could you tell our listeners how they could get involved in your campaign if they want to help you? Oh, please go to my website at Hinkfist 
www.ghostbusters4assembly.com and signs. We need people to help us make phone calls, to write postcards, um, to help us deliver literature. Um, we did a lit drop last weekend and we're continuing another lit drop this weekend. So I can use all the volunteers, anybody that wants to get involved in Team Hankfest, we're, we're, we're here and we're ready to help. Well, that sounds great. Folks, we'll have contact info, volunteer donation info for, for Kathy's campaign. Please get involved. It's super, super important. We can win this race. This is a seat that was gerrymandered not to be winnable, and Kathy can win the seat. She needs your help. Please get involved. Thanks so much, Kathy, for joining us, and, and thanks for running for office. Well, thank you for having me. Go Team Hankfist. Woo! And with that, we got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin podcast. We want to thank. Oh, there we go. We want to. We, we, we got thank, both of us. <laughs> we want to thank Team Hinkfist. We want to thank Kristen Lairly, and of course, we want to thank Brian Wildridge, our producer, who makes the show happen every week. We will see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. <laughs>